0: As we get ready to get into the word of God. Let's, let's pause for a quick moment of this prayer. I'll let you guys pray for yourself. Come on in. And uh, then I'll, I'll close it out and we'll get ready. How's it going this morning brother? Good. So let's go to our God in prayer. And, and then I'll close this out. Father in Heaven, hallowed be thy great and holy name. And Father, we we can't imagine that you have adopted us as your children and that you love us. but Father, that's just what grace is, I'm so thankful for that love and for that grace and for your Son, Jesus Christ. Thankful for your holy Spirit, Father, and it reminded me in that moment of silence, the ducks kicked on, and that work. Uh, it started working, and it, the air started turning. And that's what the word for spirit is. It's like the breath, the wind, and it's the spirit of God. And it was like He was coming into this arena with us. Father, I pray for Your Holy Spirit to be here and to help us to understand Your Word. I pray that Your Word's powerful, and that it will sink deep into our hearts and our minds, and we can take it with us today. Help us to understand it, Father, and the power that we have through Your might challenge us with what we're about to hear in Jesus name amen all right we're going to be in Ephesians 6 if you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles there today I'll get there in just a moment but as we got a question for you tonight as you're turning there tonight about 6 30 6 45 something's going to happen that's a lot of people tune into does anybody know what that is Super Bowl, Super Bowl. I thought it was like commercial fest. <laughs> I, I thought it's when all of the big commercials coming on and then we got that little side show that's called the, the Super Bowl. I'm almost afraid to ask this, but I'm going to go ahead. How many are going to be rooting for the Rams? Okay, how many is going to be rooting for the Patriots? <laughs> okay. Uh, not too many in Indiana root for the Patriots, do we? But I, I, I have to admit, I'm a Raider fan. Everything else is just a game. Just, hey, Bear fan, you're with me on the sidelines here with this one, buddy. And I gave you, our team gave you your best player. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you guys have done a whole lot better, but it's just yeah. a game. But I, I do think that uh, it ought to be a good game, as long as it's a good game, uh, I like both teams. I used to always try to draw those little Ram helmets when I was a kid. I liked to do that. I'd sit in school. Instead of doing homework, I'd be drawing a helmet and, and drawing little pictures of all the teams on there. And, uh, and I do think that even though sometimes they say that they skirt the rules a little bit, all in all, I still think Tom Brady's a great quarterback too. So I think it's going to be a great game tonight. But with that being said... It's all about the championship, isn't it? It's that You work hard to reach this goal to, to meet the end result of being a world champion. And I want to apply that today to our lives as our end goal is to be a God's champion, isn't it? To, to get to... Man, the Super Bowl is going to be going and, and being in heaven with Him. And so every day... It's a training session, every day it's practice, every day it's teamwork on trying to help all of us to reach that goal. You know, they they played the championship games two weeks ago, and for the last two weeks, you know what these teams have been doing? Practicing, preparation, study. They've been going over their plays, they want to run them perfect, don't they? They want to know what every X and every O means. And there goes the church of the future. I love it when they come through. But, but they've been preparing. They've been practicing all week for this. They've been looking at game film. They've been studying their own. They might add a new play or two because they want to throw a new wrinkle in. They don't want to be too predictable, do they? They don't want to be so methodical that the enemy knows what's going on. Then... The other thing that they've been doing this week is studying the adversary. They've been watching game film, the coaches, the trainers, and then the players. They go over it and over it. How many of you watched the game two weeks ago with the Patriots and the Chiefs? Did you guys watch that? How many of you saw Tony Romo in the fourth quarter and in overtime call almost every play that the Patriots were going to run? You know why he he was able to do that? because he's pretty sharp he's a former quarterback and he studied and he prepared for what he was going to be talking about and so when he saw teams line up in this certain array he would say they're going to run this and when when Brady would do that he's saying the linebacker moved over here the safety went there so he's nixing that play and calling a new one and it's going to be A run this way. Or a pass down the middle to Edelman. And that's exactly what happened. 75% of the time he's been right this year on the calls. You know why? He studies. He prepares. He is prepared for the game. How about you and I? Are we prepared for the game? Because you know what our game is? Our game is life. And every day it's a battle. Every day... The kickoff goes on and we have an enemy who is trying to come against us in life. And we got to know our adversary, the devil, because that's our big event. That's, that's our getting to the Super Bowl is playing these games and winning that. So now the next thing that we need to know about what championship teams do, they have a playbook. And uh, on that playbook, they learn themselves, but they also learn about the adversary and they start marking their plays down you look up there at the slide we got first peter chapter 5 and verse 8 and you know what it tells us about our game that we're in it says be sober be vigilant because your adversary your opponent in this game is the devil and he walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he might be able to devour so here's our playbook the bible is our book that we go by And we open up the playbook and all of a sudden we see the enemy. We see our adversary. And he is the devil. And the first thing it says is he walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be devoured. Do you? So we've got to learn how to not be devoured. If The people who go lion hunting hire a scout and a guide. You know why? They've studied Lions. And they've been hunting them for a long time. And they know their tendencies. And they know a little bit about them. So that you don't just go out there and get devoured. You are the one who will conquer them. We've got to know a little bit. He's on the prowl. And his mission in this game is to have your soul. And to keep you from going to heaven. That's his whole mission. He knows he's failed. And so his mission now through eternity is going to be to get you to go there with Him. So we've got to know how to battle Him out. And this is where we find our text then in Ephesians 6, if you're there with me. And it begins in there in verse 11. As we go to war, it says this. Our playbook says, put on the whole armor of God, that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, that word wiles in some versions, like the non inspired version, says schemes. Um, schemes in the original, it's methodia. It's where we get our word for method. It's continual. You know what? He's got a standard operating procedure. Satan has been around since the garden and the fall, he has studied human beings and our characteristics, our tendencies, our methods, our weaknesses. And he has studied those and he knows how then in the way we line up, so to speak, with our X's and O's, he knows what plays to call to try to punch our buttons. He knows what can make us angry. He knows what can tempt us. He knows what can lead us astray. And he's always setting forth to do that. So that's his method his scheme, his wiles, so to speak. And it says, to be able to withstand that, to be able to have a chance in this game if we're going to win it, we have to put on the whole armor of God. We've got to begin, and that's a command. It's not like, please do this. It's in an imperative mood, which is a command which says, put you on the whole armor of God. Get it on if you plan to stand against the wiles of the devil. You're not going to be able to do it if you don't. So what we need to do then is to learn what this armor of God is. The best teams scout and they know and they do. We've got to scout our playbook so we can know and do. And be able to stand. We've got to discipline ourselves. Now look there at verse 11. Again, put on this whole armor that you might be able to stand. That word for stand there means to be prepared and to withstand because you know and you got it on and you're ready for what's going to happen. I need my whole armor on. So, what is this armor then? How many people are thinking that it's like this next slide? That the whole armor of God looks like that. How many people have saw that, been taught that, that this is the armor of God? And we have this Roman soldier here who has his cute little helmet He's got his breastplate. He's got his belt. He's got on all of the different things that that a Roman soldier had when they went out to battle. And we've been told that that's what it is. And you know why people said that? Because Paul wrote this letter. And when he wrote this letter, he's in prison. And you know what he's done? He's chained to a Roman guard. He's not chained because Paul's going anywhere. It's because, can you imagine being chained uh, 12 hours next to Paul, you would be wanting to run because he's going to give you the gospel for 12 hours and he's going to talk to you about God for 12 hours and they got to chain the guard to him so that the guard don't leave him. So, people think that he is writing about this soldier. All contraire, we're going to find out that it's something different. I don't want that armor. I don't know about you, but I don't want that type of armor on and I'm going to show you why. He said, Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Go ahead and and give me the next slide, Miss T. It's verse 12 of Ephesians 6. It reads like this. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and rulers of the darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places. That is our opponent. That is again the army of, Of the legion of demons, principalities, we saw that last week. That was the archangels. The next one, the exousia, the powers that was there. That was the lieutenants, the ones who takes the orders from the generals. These are the captains, the lieutenants, the majors and the colonels. And they're in everything. We looked at Daniel chapter 10 and it showed that they are in all of the major cities and they are waging war, influencing policy. So that you and I get thrown off track. It wants to influence the policies of the world's. And then, we've got these crotters, these rulers of darkness. Do you know that that is the word skodos? Rulers of darkness. Skodos is a particular type of darkness. It's not just you turn the lights out. It's the darkness of sin that you can't see. Exodus. In Exodus chapters 10 through 12 we have the plagues going on actually 8 through 12 you've got all of the plagues one of the plagues was darkness and the word of god says that the darkness was so dark that you felt it that the darkness could be felt They couldn't see one thing for three days and nobody moved. They stayed where they were when the darkness hit because it weighed upon them. They couldn't see a thing and they didn't move for three days. That's this word that's used here. We are going up against the powers of the darkness of sin. It's a power that weighs on from hell that keeps you down. That is what we're waging war against. Now, I don't want this Roman soldier stuff on. Because first of all, it's a Roman invention. And I can't believe that God would say, Oh, I kind of like that, so we're going to use that as an illustration. No. And it didn't work very well anyway. How many people know that on the battlefield, hundreds of thousands of men died throughout the centuries wearing that armor? And they would still get stuck. And the fields were full of their, their carcasses because of the battles that took place. The armor didn't work that well. It still allowed them to fall. I don't want that kind of armor. I want an armor that's going to protect me all the time. That's impenetrable. That cannot be pierced by the enemy and his darts like that so considering all of these demonic forces that we're going up against why would i want that kind of armor do you think that shield of that soldier is going to help you against a cosmocrater do you think that that sword is going to slice up the devil or any one of his demons no that ain't going to work and i'm going to give you a biblical example here that armor doesn't work Right up here, we're going to talk in 1 Samuel 17 that we got up here. This is the story of David and Goliath. And the Word of God goes into great detail about the armor that Goliath has on. Let's take a look at this here. It's one of my favorite stories. There's two hills and there's a valley in between. You've got a mount on one side, a hill called Elah. And the valley of Elah, and then on the other side, you've got another hill. And what happens, it says, the Word of God says that they set themselves into battle, into an array. And the Philistines was on the one hill. The Israelites was on the hill of Elah. And instead of going into battle, they got a challenge, because this is the way they did it sometimes in this time. You had Goliath. He's a champion of war. He's been a warrior from his youth. He steps out on the mountain and he would challenge the troops over there of Israel. Send a man to fight with me. If you defeat me, we will be your servants. But if I defeat who you send, you will be our servants. And he would do that day after day. And he was throwing out this challenge out here. And all of a sudden, David comes out to check on his brothers. His father Jesse has sent him out there to see how the battle fared. And when he arrives, he sees the giant on the one side. And this giant, it says, it starts going in to Goliath as he stood there on the hill. And he says that he is six cubits in a span. Well, I looked it up, and that's anywhere from 9 foot 6 inches to a little over 10 foot, depending on what your cubit and a span was. So let's just even it off at 10 foot. You got a 10 foot tall giant standing over there. I don't know how much he weighs, but he's a big dude. The Word of God goes into great detail about this armor. This armor that he has, and it looks a lot like Roman armor that would come later on. And it says this in verse 5, he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and that he was armed with a coat of mail. Well, a coat of mail, picture pieces of brass that are like fish scales that sewn on there and they overlap like roofing tabs overlap. That's what the armor was. It would start at the bottom and the next piece would go over and be sewn on there and overlap. And then the next piece, so that you had this overlapping of brass, on, usually it was fabric that was stuck onto leather, and this was his coat of mail. It was the armor that they had that covered the chest and the back. It says there that God even wants us to know how much his armor weighed. It says it was 5,000 shekels of brass. I've seen the estimates as I studied this from 80 pounds to 167 pounds. So, it was around 100 pounds at least anyway of armor. Just for this chest plate and back protection. 100 pounds of brass was on it. Then it says that he had a javelin or a target, which was the word for javelin, that was... Hooked in the middle of his back. That was his backup weapon that he would be able to reach and grab and pull out to be ready to throw. Then verse 9 says that he had brass armor upon his legs. The King James Version calls it greaves, But again, it's these overlapping sections of brass that would be able to bend at the knee. But it covered from the thigh all the way down to the bottom of the foot. So now we've got this giant 10 foot tall. He's got on all of this armor, a helmet of brass, a hundred pounds at least of this chest protection, a javelin. He's got on his legs, he's got all of this protection going on. And we ain't even stopped yet. It says that he's got a spear. And the head of that spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. That's between 15 and 17 pounds. I want to ask you something, you bowlers. You put a bowling ball that's 15, 16, 17 pounds on the end of a spear. How hard would it be to hold that weight in line and then throw it? This ain't a small dude, is it? This is a big, powerful guy and he's got an 18 to 15 pound spearhead just on the head of this thing that he's going to get ready to throw. Not only that, it continues to go on. He's got a sword. If you look down at verse 51 there, David, whenever he's going to kill and slay this giant, he didn't go out with a sword himself. You know what he does? He goes and takes Goliath's sword off of him and cuts his head off. So, he's got a sword besides this spear and this javelin that he's got going on. And he's standing over there daring the army of israel to come out and fight him and every time this giant stood there and said fee five fo fum send me someone over to fight you know what happened the army of saul would run and hide like a bunch of chickens and i know some of you has raised chickens before what happens when a chicken is out there and they see a hawk start to circle you know what they do First, the call usually comes out from the rooster and they all start doing this. And they start running around back and forth looking for a place to hide. I'm not kidding you. The Word of God says that the armies of Saul, every time the giant got out there and said, fee-fi-fo-fum, I want someone, these chickens would go running and looking a place to hide. David pulls up and he says, why... I want you to see the difference in the thought process. The people of the army and the people of the Philistines. Goliath would always say, you guys are the army of Saul. They thought they were the army of Saul. You know what David, when he rolls up, said? Why is the army of God running around and hiding from this guy? This isn't the army of Saul. Saul. He's a man. We are God's army. And why are we running around from this uncircumcised Philistine that's standing over there hollering at us? His brother gets a little mad at him and starts chewing on him. He doesn't pay no attention to him. And he starts asking some questions. And pretty soon they bring him up to Saul. And he says, I can do it. Saul says, no, you can't. You're just a little ruddy youth. And he says, let me tell you a little bit of something about my God. I've been out there watching sheep. And a lion and a bear tried to take them. And every time, I grabbed a hold of them and I slew them because God is with me. And the same God is going to deliver this giant to me as well. Saul says, okay. And what's the first thing Saul wants to do? Are you there? He wants him to put on his armor, don't he? And what's his armor look like? Same thing that Goliath does. This is the king's armor. This is the best in the house. But it still looks just like Goliath's armor. It looks like a Roman soldier's armor that would come later on. David puts it on and what's he say? I ain't proved nothing in this. I ain't proved a thing wearing this kind of stuff. I'm going to go out there and what the Lord has been doing with me. And you know what he went out with? No armor. He didn't put on any of that stuff. It says that he used his shepherd's staff. What did... What did Moses have? What did Aaron have? <laughs> yeah, they had their little staff. He went out with his staff. And he went and gathered five smooth stones. Because he's, he's got a sling that he carries around with him. So he went and got some stones. And he's got his staff. And he goes down to meet this champion. Who's ten foot tall. Now picture this. Here's a young man facing a 10-foot giant who's got on a couple of hundred pounds of armor and all of these weapons, and he walks out with his stick. Yes, sir. Oh, he right he, he exactly that did. Giant, so. And he was probably about your size. Stand up over here, Austin. Come here a minute. He was about 15, 16, 17 years old and probably about this size. And he's facing a 10-foot tall guy with a couple of hundred pounds of armor on. And you've got a little staff and you've got a couple of smooth stones. But he wasn't afraid. You know why? Because God was with him. He's a battler. Go ahead, sit down. He's a battler for God. He knows who the, whose battle it is. It's not his. What did Ephesians say there? It says... Watch there, it says, stand ye firm in what? The first verse there in verse 10. In the power and might. The first verse of this section says in verse 10 of, of chapter 6 of Ephesians. Stand firm in the power and the might of the Lord. And that's what David had. And so he steps out there. And Goliath looks out there and he says, Did you send that... To come out to me? Are you insulting me? And it says he cursed David by his God. So he was taking his gods and cursing David and telling him what he was going to do to him. He said, You come out with a stick and a little bit of rocks against me. And David said, I want to tell you something, brother. He says, You're an uncircumcised Philistine, and you come out here with a sword and a shield. We oh we wasn't finished yet. Goliath not only had that he had another guy with him he had another soldier that carried his shield so he had a guy with the shield going out before him because the shield had to be big to protect him so one whole guy had to hold this shield while Goliath comes out David goes up and he says you you talk about my little stick and my little rock he said you're coming out With a sword and a shield and a guy carrying it. And you're coming out with this armor. I come to you in the name of the Lord. And the same God is going to take you this day. And I'm going to separate your head from your shoulders. And you're going to fall. And I'm going to feed you to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And with that, David ran at him. And I bet no one's ever ran at that giant in a battle. I bet they went the other way. But he went at him. He's never seen that before, and it took him by surprise. And while he's standing there watching that, guess what happened? That sling went, and that rock went, and guess what it did? Buried it, didn't it? Right in the forehead, it says, between the eyes. Guess what? Did that armor help? Did the shield help? Did all of his stuff help? No, why? There was a weakness in it, wasn't it? You know why? It's man-made. That's all man made. That's not going to protect you. I don't want that kind of armor, and I don't even know where we're at right now. <laughs> <sighs> okay, back to Ephesians 6. Go ahead and take me to Ephesians 6. Back to that. I told you he's going to come back here in a minute. Now, look at verse 10 again. Finally, my brethren, be strong where? In the Lord. And in the power of whose might? That means I'm nothing, doesn't it? And that means I don't need to take my strength, my stuff out there. I need to be strong in the power of the Lord and in the power of His might. So that I can stand against the adversary that I got going on. And verse 11 and verse 13 is both going to tell us the same thing. What am I commanded to put on? Who, whose armor? Whose armor? So it's not my armor, it's not Roman soldier's armor, it's not Goliath's armor, it's somebody else's. I want to tell you something else too. I, I, I've totally passed this one up. I think I put it on our, uh, on our Berean chapters. But in Isaiah chapter 59, if you go down there to like verses 16 and 17, in Isaiah, write that down, Isaiah 59, verses 16 and 17. It says there, there we go, there was no man to be an intercessor. You know what that means? A helper, a prayer warrior going in on behalf of someone else. That's what we talked about when we began this. About praying for others and the power that it's been done. In Isaiah's time, the Lord's right, and he says, I'm surprised That you don't have intercessors. I'm surprised that you don't have people helping each other out and praying for each other and doing things for each other. I'm surprised about that. And then you look as verse 17 goes on, it says, I brought salvation. I sustained Him. And then what does it say? He put on righteousness as what? Isn't that a part of the armor that we're told to put on in Ephesians 6? The blessed plate of what? Okay. This is in Isaiah 59, 16 and 17. God's commanded in there, put on a breastplate of righteousness and a helmet of what? Isn't that in in Ephesians 6 as well as part of the armor? How many people know that Isaiah was written in 700 B.C., several hundred years before the Romans had their armies and their uh, armor that they created? So God... Paul is quoting Isaiah 59. We are not talking about man-made armor. We are not talking about Roman soldiers. We are talking about God's armor. And next week, we're going to really get into what that is. Okay, go ahead and... And I got Miss T going everywhere. Go ahead and slide me back to Ephesians uh, 6 again, and then we'll hit that one. Okay, in Ephesians 6, verses 14 through 17, it says, Gird your waist with truth put on the breastplate of righteousness get your feet shod with what preparation of what the gospel of peace didn't we just talk about the ones that's in the super bowl are the best prepared prepare yourself with the gospel of peace take on the shield of what you know what we're going to study next week some some scriptures that talks about how God's all-encompassing shield of us it, for those who are faithful in him put on a shield of faith. It's not a shield that that rock can go across and still drill you in the center of the head. This is talking about God's shield that's going to be all-encompassing. The helmet of salvation. We just saw that. That's a part of Isaiah. Sword of the spirit. But let's look at that. We had the breastplate of righteousness. We had the helmet of salvation. Now I want, to, I want to take you to what the real warrior and the suit of armor is. Go ahead and give me that last one. There we go. Right there's your true armor of God. You know what it is? It's the armor of the priest. The high priest. And that's where we're going to go next week. Because if you and I are commanded... To put on the whole armor of God, we've got to know what it is. It's not that bulky stuff that David said, I can't wear this, I can't move, I can't do anything. I'm taking it off and I'm going out there under God's command. You know what? This is the armor that was given in Exodus when they became his people. And it's the armor that we still wear today. You know why? Because the word of God says that you and I are a kingdom of kings and priests. We're a holy nation. We are a royal priesthood. And you're going to see that the priest. That they made that helmet of salvation. Is the Lord's salvation to you through faith. You know what it says on the middle of the Lord's helmet of salvation? Holy unto God. So you're wearing a helmet of salvation. That says you are holy unto God. You're wearing the breastplate of righteousness. The The insignia of the nation of God that you are in. You're wearing the belt of truth. The word of God. You've got the faith and the spirit of the Lord. There is your royal armor. It's God's armor because you are his priest. And we're going to find out next week that the priests were the ones who went out to battle first. Who was it that surrounded Jericho? The priests went first. Who's the first ones that stepped their foot in the water to go from the wilderness into Canaan? The priests with the Ark of the Covenant put their foot in the water and the water stopped and the people went across. And when he said, we're going to take down Jericho's walls, the priests were commanded to go out there with the shofars and the trumpets and walk around in the front because the priests led the battle. Aaron and Moses were of the tribe of Levi, the priestly tribe, and they led them in battle. Everything was about the priests being the intercessors and the warriors and the leader of God's people. And guess what? As our worship team comes on up, we're going to talk about that next week because you and I are priests. And it's our calling to put on the royal armor of God, this helmet of salvation, this breastplate of righteousness, feet shod With the gospel. And being prepared with the gospel of peace. I hope you come back and you bring somebody. Because they need to know about this too. Everybody needs to know. About what our true armor is. But today I hope you realize. I don't want Goliath's armor. I don't want Saul's armor. I don't want the Roman soldiers. I want God's. And I want to learn next week. How to to put that stuff on. And what it means. and, And what I'm supposed to do. So. I hope that's your goal as well. And I hope that you're putting it on now. And if you are not a Christian, if you're here, and you've not named Him as your Savior, you need to today. Today's the day of salvation to put that helmet of salvation on and to become His child. And to walk out of here with that armor starting to go upon you. If you are here, a lot of us are Christians, hey, let's begin to put the whole armor of God on, the true armor of God, okay? Let's do that now. And you, I bet you won't believe the power then that we will have as a community. As a royal priesthood and a holy nation. For not only this body of Christ. But this community and into this world. Let's pray. Father we thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your word Father. Because here for the longest time I thought I was supposed to wear that Roman soldier's army, but you you revealed your truth, and I thank you that in some form or fashion, hopefully it was did a justice today to reveal it to your body of Christ gathered here. Father, may your Holy Spirit be among us, may He work on our hearts and our minds with your word, which is the dynamite to salvation, the power of God. Father, may we walk as your holy priests now and and serve you in a way that brings you glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.